Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Andy and Red. Let's take down the house lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Smash Bottle. Play the game sweeping the motherland. It's new. You get to break stuff. It's Smash Bottle. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is the uh, podcast where we like to break apart movies as filmmakers and just try to see uh, what they're doing there for the sake of, you know, studying and learning more about filmmaking. Uh, And also, like, some of the writing stuff. I've been doing more and more writing lately, and so it's always fun to see some of the, the lessons that I can kind of pick up on from a writing standpoint, which... There's always stuff that's just tricky to do as a writer, like exposition, where you're trying to give backstory or more depth to a character without making it feel hokey. And there's a lot of films that do such a great job of that. And I don't know, maybe maybe Shawshank did as well. I honestly wasn't paying attention to their exposition, which probably means they were excellent at it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> whenever you know it, whenever you're paying attention to it, it's probably because it's just painful. <laughs> and by the way... Shawshank Redemption. That is what we're doing this week. So if you have not seen it, please go pause this episode and watch it. There's going to be tons of spoilers. And for this movie in particular, you you absolutely want to make sure that you uh, you watch it beforehand because we can spoil it for sure. A hundred percent. And that's ab- the thing about spoilers. Spoilers can be more than just than just about like uh, what the movie's about. It can you know little things like if you if you know if you know something's going to happen and you know the movie's not going to end until that thing happens, you know things like that. Uh, so yeah, it's really important to watch it first. Nice. Yeah, and we'll talk about a lot of things. Uh, cinematography. I mean, this is I think one of the films that made Deacons who he is today. Can't really talk about Shawshank without touching on cinematography, and in which I'll touch on like color, camera work, and some of the lighting, and a little bit of editing. Uh, the use of dissolves here I thought was really interesting, and we'll also talk about story and writing, and ultimately why is Shawshank so rewatchable, um, and other such stuff and things and stuff. Uh, So synopsis of the film, two imprisoned men bond over a number of years, finding solace and eventual redemption through acts of common decency. Directed by Frank Darabont, screenplay by Frank Darabont, based on the short story by Stephen King, cinematography by Roger Deakins, uh, featuring Tim Robbins as Andy Dufresne, Morgan Freeman as Red, uh, Bob Gunton as Warden Norton, Clancy Brown as Captain Hadley, Gil Bellows as Tommy, and James Whitmore as Brooks Hatlin. For the second time in my life, I'm guilty of committing a crime. A role violation. Of course, I doubt they'll toss up any roadblocks for that. Not for an old crook like me. Fort Hancock, Texas, please. I find I'm so excited I can barely sit still a whole of thought in my head. I think it's the excitement only a free man can feel. A free man at the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope. hope 
<laughs> You're right. <laughs> There's so many great scenes to pick from, and I was like, oh, what? I just want to hear Morgan Freeman talk about the ocean and hope. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? That's pretty incredible. How many times do you think you've seen this movie? The dozen, maybe more. <laughs> Holy crap. I yeah. think that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, there's something about it, man. I think it's the, um, a little bit of the, it's, it's an insight into a world that most of us don't get to have, you know, the insight into a prison. Right. And uh, there's been a lot of movies like that, but I think, a, a couple of things. One, it's a prison, you know, decades ago, right? So it's not like a prison nowadays, which uh, I don't know. There, I, th I feel like there's this this little feeling of it's okay to go there to that place to that prison in that time, um, as opposed to like a prison nowadays. Like if you watch a movie about a prison nowadays, it's pretty. It's like it's like scary. It's hard to go there, you know, but the way they paint this picture and I don't know what prisons were like in the 40s and 50s and 60s, but it's it's a place where I mean, yeah, some bad guys are. I mean, you know, for sure, but not but like for the most part, most of the violence is done from the guards and very little from the actual inmates, except for those those few guys who, you know, essentially, you know, rape Andy, you know, regularly, but, uh, uh, like they don't, they don't show it and they, you know, they show the actual violence in between them, but you don't feel it as much as you would maybe, in, you know, in a place of like today. Right. I feel like if this movie was set today in 2020 or 2010 or 2015 or whatever, um, in a prison now that the cinematography would be different. The story itself would be different because it would, it might lean heavier on like the, the, um, the action of how bad shit is, you know, it, you know, but that's not about what, what the story is about. And it's more about like these two guys being in this place years ago. And there's, there, I don't know if it's told correctly from the point of view of what it was like to be a prisoner back then, but it's not almost not even the point. And so it's just a place where they can't leave instead of, an actual like like well and they're you know they have all their rights taken away and stuff like that. it's not pretty but it's i don't know it just doesn't feel as as cumbersome and 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 daunting as maybe it would now maybe i'm incorrect or i'm saying this incorrectly but uh the other thing is that there is this theme i'm glad you picked this this uh this um a clip because there is this theme of hope throughout the whole thing. And I think that you kind of feel that throughout the whole movie. I feel hopeful that Andy uh, and Red are going to get out. I feel hopeful that maybe Andy will, will, you know, they'll figure out, Oh, he didn't kill his wife and her lover maybe. And, and now he's going to get out. Like there's this hope, even when that hope is taken away and he's thrown in the, in the hole, there's always this like, I don't know, this feeling of hope, which may, which leads you back to the film, which leads you back to this, this like, just to have this feeling, even though you go through these hard things and these terrible moments with them, um, there's just this feeling that like they're going to come out of it. And even if they don't, you just love the actor so much and you love the character so much that you, I mean, you can't help but want to see them again. And when you do, when you rewatch it, it's like visiting an old friend that you haven't seen in forever. And I think part of that obviously is to, 
with, you know, with, um, Morgan Freeman's VO, which is amazing, probably the greatest ever. And that's why everybody makes fun of it. But also Tim Robbins and his deliver delivery as Andy, like this, just this straight flat kind of like uh, character. And then when he comes out of it, you like see him bloom every now and then. And then he goes back to flat again. And usually when he would bloom, it would be when he's helping somebody else, you know, or like when he would, he played the music for, for everybody or when he got the beer for everybody or when, um, he, you know, was working on the, the library for everybody or all of these things like kind of like made you love him and hope that he didn't do it. Whether you, you know, in fact, rewatching it this time, I realized, man, I, I didn't remember if he actually did it or not. I didn't remember the part with, um, um, what's his name? Tommy. Yeah. Yeah. Who came and said, no, I know the guy who did it. He admitted to me. I didn't remember that part. Um, so when I saw, I was like, oh, that's right. He, he didn't do it. Oh my gosh. But it almost didn't matter because you loved him either way. And that's almost, you know, a little bit of the point here is that like, you know, people can do bad things. It doesn't mean they're bad people always. Sometimes they're bad people. <laughs> but one thing I, I didn't notice, and I'll stop talking here for a second and let you chime in, but is, and I don't know what prisons were like. Again, let me reiterate in the forties, fifties and sixties, but there were very little people of color in this movie. Very few. I mean, I, I could count on two hands, the number of black people I saw in this film, which is, I, I don't know if that's accurate. I don't know if that's a was a statement or just not making a statement, not knowing that you needed to make the statement back then when this movie was made, what was it? 99, 2000, something like that. Uh, Shawshank. Yeah. It was like, I think like 94 maybe. Oh yeah. I'm way off. Um, yeah, yeah. 94, 93, something like that. I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure, but it was, uh, that was the only off putting thing for me. It was like, you know, is that, real was that true i'm not quite sure about that because obviously if it was told today it would be very different a much more colorful film i'll say that than than when this movie was made but maybe that's what prisons looked like in the 50s i'm not sure that was just an observation that i had that i i kind of couldn't get out of my brain for most of the the movie yeah because if you were to like juxtapose this against like watch this and then watch American history X. Those are two Mm -hmm. radically different experiences um, because in this film uh, race plays almost no part whatsoever. Uh, And and it's pretty commonly believed uh, if not true uh, that race is a pretty large component of your experience in jail, Um, the clicking and the, uh, the gangs and affiliation, you know, apparently I've never been to prison. So I'm speaking only from hearsay. Uh, but apparently that's, you know, a lot of the dividing lines. And so for Andy to walk into prison and, you know, Mm -hmm. just to have this kind of normal experience, his only, uh, dividing line is whether or not he's going to give his body over to the sisters. And like you said, a lot of the violence beyond that comes from the guards themselves. And, you know, uh, by extension, the warden, uh, and this seems to be a movie about, you know, to some degree, uh, power and abuse of authority and yeah, truth and honor, uh, but mostly hope and despair. Uh, and that's universal themes, man. I mean, they found a way to be specific about it. Uh, and everything you said is funny. Like everything you said is in my notes. Like I'm so, Oh, I got an Eddie. Sorry. No, I mean, that's satisfying, right. To feel like, Oh, we're seeing the same thing and we're having the same experience. Yeah. To, to a degree that you're going to be like, yep, yep. 
Yep, that's what I said. <laughs> like, it's perfect. Well, let's let's jump perfect. into those. Okay, uh, well, let's start with the cinematography. Like, right off the bat, you can tell, I mean, it's very muted. The colors are very muted. It's not very vibrant. Um, a lot of blues, a lot of grays. Even in the opening shot before he gets to prison, because those, those are all very prison elements, right? Dark and uh, lifeless uh, from a color standpoint. Um, but even in the first shot, we open at night on a cabin, and we kind of recede until uh, we see Andy Dufresne in his car. Uh, drinking and contemplating murder uh, with his gun or what have you. But what I love is when, you know, sometimes we talk about the first shot and the last shot. Uh, if you juxtapose that against the last shot, uh, where we end in broad daylight on the beach uh, where Andy's fixing a boat. Instead of looking at breaking something, he's fixing something that is broken. And he's greeting a friend instead of saying goodbye to his wife, you know, and you also have the vibrant color of the, the beach and the sky and uh, it's bright blue, right? In the, in the final shot and the saturation is back. Life and hope are all kind of returning to the frame um, after a two plus hours of having it all stripped away. Uh, and then even to the point where you, we pull back in this helicopter shot far enough to where the, uh, the, the sky and the ocean almost start to blend together, like in, into this one infinite view of, I don't know, hope. It's beautiful. Like just those two opening shots and the closing shots uh, just really scream this whole story that, of how he goes from the darkest moment of his life to the brightest. Um, and then, and the, isn't that isn't is just to add on that isn't that like a very Roger Deakins thing to do? Yeah, you know, you, you contrast the the op, the first and the last shot. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's like anybody who's created anything. What do you start with? What's the first thing people see? What's the last thing they see? What's the first thing they hear? Last thing they hear? Like, like bookend, you know, things so that people it makes it memorable, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and the camera work is interesting, and this is one of the things I, uh, I was telling Todd before we started. Well, let's just talk about the camera work first. There's a lot of long takes, lots of dollying, tilting, tracking, uh, generally just kind of getting the coverage while in movement instead of a lot of uh, hard cuts. Like we're not going into coverage. Uh, we're creating coverage through the camera movement, through the blocking of the scene. In, in particular, you can look at the, uh, the scene where Tommy doesn't know that he's got mail and he gets the mail and they're all kind of huddled out there with the mail deliverer. Uh, delivery guy and he's like oh Andy mailed it in like these are my test results and uh, they start passing it around that's a really long one take and it starts pretty wide and we kind of hang out and get into these close-ups and then we kind of start panning and or uh, uh, dollying around the group as they're passing it all back and forth whenever you think of that scene it doesn't feel like a wonder it feels like there's a bunch of coverage and you're cutting in and out but in reality he created all that just through the camera movement and blocking and so watching this movie, uh, uh, I'm in the middle of shooting a scene that has a, a, a scene, a, a film, a 30 minute drama that has some elements that are similar. There's there's certainly uh, jail involved and uh, there's a mostly there's a lot lot of passage of time that we're trying to communicate. Um, and what struck me about Shawshank is whenever they're doing that, they they generally try to not go into coverage in those moments. Uh, it's in the conversations that they usually start going into coverage, but in the, uh, the storytelling aspect, the montage kind of moments that you're carrying from one beat to another, they, they seem to very 
often stick in these wide shots and start uh, working out how can we do like a two minute oneer um, so that you feel like you were really here for a while. And that way, every time you're editing, you're you're jumping to a whole new place. You're jumping to a, sometimes a whole new you know time as the years kind of roll by. And it's kind of refreshing just because if you were to edit and do it too much more jumping around within scenes, you can almost start to lose your ability to tell that time is passing. Um, and so by having these longer takes, uh, it makes it a little bit easier and you don't feel as winded as a viewer having to constantly memorize new geography, new scenes. Uh, it gives your, your mind a break so that whenever you go to a new scene, a new, new time, uh, you, it's fresh and you're excited to explore the geography and uh, what's going on in the scene. And so very, I mean, Deacon's freaking deacons um very deacons <laughs> there's a lot of and this is super deacons like uh single source lighting a lot of soft natural lighting uh window lighting uh and it makes sense i mean you're in a prison in the 40s and 50s like this isn't something that you're just going to have a ton of electricity and a ton of lighting and so they they tend to save a lot of that for or we're going to put one single lamp in this prison uh in the cell um but overall everything's really dark and Every, there's not a lot of internal lighting. There's just that you can feel the prison trying to stamp out the light, trying to stamp out the hope. And that comes through, obviously, in the, the psychology of what they're trying to do in those two different positions. Um, and I think it's part of I think. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah. I think it's part of what um, makes it a little bit more rewatchable. Right. Is that this uh, they don't try to overdo anything. They don't try to oversell the the harshness of the prison they don't try to over overact um in moments when they shouldn't you know like they don't try to oversell uh camera movements or the lighting like you just said it's just here it is you know it's very on on you know on point it's exactly you know just kind of not they're getting out of their own way i think in the filmmaking is what it felt like and that just makes it more refreshing I, I feel like you know uh more acceptable when you know they're not trying so hard i agree yeah. and it's nice because uh even though everything feels bleak it's still so beautifully lit um that there's this interesting uh thing that's happening where we can feel the hopelessness but we can also feel a little bit of life like everyone looks beautiful in this film um the lighting is always really nice uh and you mm -hmm. you you want to look at them you want to spend time with them um despite the the situation and so it's a it's one of those things where you're you're it, that kind of juxtaposition of bleak and hope uh bleak and beauty uh fits really well because that's all they're trying to do in prison is in in the terrible circumstances that they're in uh or unfortunate circumstances uh the non-life affirming circumstances are looking for those little rays of sunshine those little rays of hope that they can create beauty uh within and the only way they can do that is through each other and so it makes sense that all the people would be beautifully lit um because those are the only beautiful things left in prison are are the people uh, well said. The the editing is pretty. I mean, there, there's not a lot to talk about. But the one thing that I just was fascinated that I never picked out before uh, was during that opera scene. Whenever Andy locks the door and he starts blaring, mm -hmm. the, I have no idea what those two ladies were saying. When we cut to the, the the prison yard, they start dissolving between these shots. And normally, and what I love about this is normally dissolves 
are used to show a passage of time or to connect two scenes together uh, to emotionally connect them together. Like uh, like later in the in the film, when uh, we dissolve from Brooks's death, right, he's hanging there. We dissolve from that to his letter that Red is reading. Um, and they're just using that dissolve there in order to emotionally connect uh, the two his death and the letter that he's still holding. But here in the prison yard, uh, they're, they're doing something else. They're, they're making it feel timeless. Like time is stopping. And so using the dissolve to cut between, you know, a continuous sequence, these are moments that are all continuous, uh, but they're using that dissolve in order to give it a feeling of timelessness that the moment itself is standing still. And I, I don't know that I've seen that before, at least certainly haven't caught it before. Um, and, that was just a new interesting way that I've never thought of using dissolves before. I like it. Very uh, cool. Diving into story and writing. This is, this is going to be a fun one. Um, so for one, I like the opening sequence in court, uh, with flashbacks to the crime. Um, it's very quick storytelling to establish our setting, the stakes and, we're trying to just kind of get to prison as fast as possible. You can feel that we don't want to spend a lot of time not in prison, I think, because you also don't want to crush everyone's spirit when you get there. Uh, and so the faster you can kind of make everything else, the, the easier it'll be to accept this new setting and to enjoy it um, instead of setting it up as this thing to, to dread. Then you're there and you're like, I don't want to be here. But the other thing that it does is it opens up a question that sequence in court opens up the question of uh, did he do it? Like, we don't really know until later in the film. But what's great about that, what, opening that question and not answering it right away, um, is that it puts us, the audience, in the same seat as all his friends in prison. Because we and they don't know if he did it, even though he's saying he's innocent. Um, and, they, of course, they have that great setup. Uh, everyone is innocent in, in prison, um, or in Shawshank, at least. And what's really good about that whole sequence, that opening court sequence in the flashbacks is intercutting the fidelity, the infidelity sex scene like it's very passionate. It helps uh, along with the, the voiceover of the prosecutor, right, his closing statements all kind of combined together to make us feel like, yeah, maybe he did it. And yeah, maybe he was justified. We're starting to take his side like you just talked about. Like we're already taking his side and building an emotional case for why he did it and why we're still on his side. That's <laughs> that's really fantastic uh, storytelling for sure. And um, that's hard to do. Uh, I think a lot of that is, is in the acting because, uh, I mean, he, he's basically on trial and we are the jury. So he's saying he's innocent. You have, but you have the the lawyer who's like, yeah, but here's the evidence, and you know, and so the, and when you see him, the camera placement is really important here because it's from the point of view of the jury. Whenever you're seeing Andy, you're, the camera is over where the jury is, and then when the the lawyer is talking to the jury, he's talking in our direction. He's not looking directly at the camera, but and then we you know pivot 180 to see the jury, but we're, t we're from that point of view. So it's like, we're being, we as the viewer are the jury here and we need to, um, make our decision essentially. And I think we kind of do that. Maybe he is guilty because then they establish everybody is guilty in Shawshank and they make fun of it. So then you've accepted, you've accepted not only that Andy is guilty, but that red is guilty because he's actually, then they go on to say that red admits that he was guilty. So, so now we're believing Andy's guilty. We're believing Red is guilty. We're believing everyone else is guilty because they made made fun of the fact that they all say that they're not. 
So, and we're okay with it because we love the characters. So then finding out that Andy's not is even more impactful. And then they throw him in the, in the hole for, you know, raising that. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, like, like this is so wrong. And so we're so on their side and we even forget the fact that red is a murderer. You know, we don't care. We don't care because Andy, we, we love them both, but then we find out Andy was, was not guilty. And it's just, yeah, it's like, set them all free. It's kind of yeah. the feeling that you have, right? That's right. I love it. I love that whenever he does get to prison, survives the first night, so to speak. And we were, we cut to the next morning, they're eating breakfast. Uh, and ha- uh, I forget his name. Is it Hadley? The, mm-hmm. the, the buddy is like, Hey, how'd my oh, horse do? Uh, the one who got beat the, the big guy. Um, yeah, I forgot to put his name in there. I didn't think I would want to reference it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was wrong. Um, but he's like, how'd my horse do last night? Uh, the one who got beat up and he finds out that he died. Like, uh, he got beat up too bad and no, there was no doctor in the house. And so he just sat in the infirmary all night and, and died. And I love that. The first thing that Andy says in his ten- time in prison is what was his name? Like he's asking about the man who mm-hmm. died. Um, and his concern was, you know, does anybody even know anything about this human being? Yeah. He just, uh, yeah. Filled with compassion. Like that's just who <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's yeah, appropriate. It's who he is. Andy has no concept or at least he has no respect for boundaries and, uh, what you consider to be, uh, societally pro- appropriate or situationally aware. Like he's just going to do, uh, a little, only what he thinks is right and nothing else. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting in that way. Um, and it's very well revealed, yeah. you know, just through that question of what was his name? And everyone's just like, you know, screw off. Like, but there's a lot of great setups, setups and payoffs. Uh, um, one of the things that they do a great job. And I, I want to say this movie is written in very distinct blocks. Like we're going to tell the story of the sisters and mm-hmm. they set up the danger of the sisters pretty well uh, just through that little line in the in the courtyard, like. Uh, I guess it wouldn't help to tell them that I'm not homosexual. And he's like, uh, they're not either that you'd have to be human first. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> so well written. Yeah. And it's great because it sets up a battle in prison for him to overcome. And it does it in a way that you wouldn't anticipate. So he loses his first fight. Right. And that sets up the dangers of prison in general. Um, and this whole scenario itself feels like an obvious question in the viewer's mind, right? The idea of, is he going to be raped in prison? Don't guys get raped in prison? And from what I've read statistically, that's the most rape in America happens in prison. And so they address it. They address this idea of rape in prison and it gives us a reason right off the back to sympathize with Andy. And it also sets up Andy's hero moment because he can't overpower the, the sisters, but he has other heroic skills and Andy and this is his, it reveals his whole mentality and how he's going to spend his time in prison because Andy's, Andy wants to use his mind, his skills to feel normal. This is of course revealed when he wants to get beer for his friends, right? He doesn't even drink it. It was never the point. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to feel, uh, cause I don't think he's an alcoholic, but maybe that moment was enough for him. Like I ruined my life drinking. Uh, it almost doesn't mm-hmm. matter if he's alcoholic or if that was even an, an acknowledged thing back no, in the day. I, I don't. Yeah. I think he just he's, saying he quit drinking. It was never, he didn't ever want the beer. The point was 
to like he had a long-term vision right it was a long-term play get on the side of the guards and get on the side of of uh the other inmates right uh, but also help them at the same time yeah i don't know how deliberate it was but it was certainly like What's great about it is it's an unobvious solution to what was an impossible problem, right? He was never going to make it in prison on his own. And that moment just became this opportunity to do a favor for a guard or more importantly, to do two things uh, that made him feel normal. One, to do legal stuff, to, to exercise his knowledge as a banker and as a financial genius, and then also to provide something to his buddies. And so, yeah, you're right. I mean, it was just this amazing, whether it was super intentional beforehand, which I can't imagine him predicting that, but he certainly knew how to use it to his advantage in multiple ways. And I think the most important one was just to feel like a human being for five minutes. Yeah, I think that's definitely the most important thing, but he, he is a foresight guy. I mean, was this before or after he asked for the rock hammer? Uh, that was after. Yeah. After. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you know, at, at the end when they do the, the whole flashback thing to the first time he's carving his name in the wall and the rock falls out and then he, I feel like most of this entire movie is him planning, planning how to get to that point. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. No, there's definitely something to that. He knows to be on the lookout for any opportunities to to help someone or to indebt people. That's something that's pretty well uh, acknowledged in prison is the whole mm -hmm. debtor system of I did you a favor. Now you owe me. Um, and so I'm sure that was still a factor back in those days to have people owing you something was was a was a good was a good thing. Good place to be. Um, but also on that roof, I love the the crane shot the, the whole movement of the crane whenever Andy's being rushed over to the edge like he's about to be thrown over and we cut to this top-down crane shot of him kind of teetering on the edge and it really ramps up the 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 stakes and the danger of it and they maneuver that crane down so that eventually the danger kind of goes away as he's getting the situation under control like oh, it's yeah. really beautifully orchestrated to to reflect the scene but I love in this is going to take a slightly uh, askew here for a second. But uh, so he fast forward, right? He gets the starts writing the letters and he gets his library uh, started and they're unboxing all the books and they're looking at uh, Treasure Island and Alexander Dumbass uh, Dumas. And I realized for the first time in that book that they were looking at is The Count of Monte Cristo. And it's perfect. This movie is a modern day Monte Cristo, you know, a guy wrongly convicted and patiently plots his escape and there's revenge and there's treasure. Uh, it's perfect. It's, this is just a, a modern retelling of Monte Cristo and it's absolutely wonderful. Um, I also wonder if the, the Randall Stevens, his fake identity is like some light reference to Treasure Island, Robert Louis Stevenson. I, I have no idea, um, hmm. but it feels like just could see that tangentially kind of in there. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that. Um, but Another cool s section uh, with, I would say I'm, I'm labeling this under writing um, because it's kind of built into the story and into the editing uh, is his reveal for when he escapes the prison. I love we establish everyone's getting out and Red is worried. And so there's this fear that Andy's killed himself and the, the jail cell opens. He doesn't step out. The, the guard comes down and he's threatening him like, if you don't you know, step out here, you're going to ruin my day and I'm going to ruin yours kind of thing. And we see him enter from the perspective 
of the jail cell looking out and we see his eyes wide. Oh my God. But we don't cut to what he's looking at. Instead, we cut to the warden opening the shoebox and revealing that Andy's dirty shoes are in there. And it's kind of confusing the first time you watch it. You're like, wait, what is this? And you see the confusion on the warden's face too. And we're all kind of confused as we're like, wait, oh, those aren't the shoes. He spent all night polishing the shoes. Okay, those aren't the ones. Uh, and I love that reveal for a number of reasons. Uh, for one, obviously, they're kind of telling you that Andy had a plan, like you were saying, like there was a plan and the plan is now being executed. Uh, but there's also just this other little subtle uh, jab, which is to say that the shoe is on the other foot. Like there's just kind of this mm-hmm. visual play on words. And of course, the other play on words is whenever he goes in there, he opens up the uh, the Bible and he sees that uh, he bookmarked it at Exodus. <laughs> Which is perfect. Yeah, which is in the Bible is when uh, they escape uh, Egypt and they're on their way out. Um, Moses and whatnot. And so, yeah, this kind of carries us into why it's so rewatchable. And I would say half of the at least half of these you've already touched on, if not all of them. And I will expound Uh, for one. I think it's rewatchable because it's a period piece. It's and it's kind of a romantic era, right? We're in this unexplored space within that era. Uh, And so this all kind of combines to make it timeless. You have this uh, time period and this environment to explore that feels fresh and, and brand new while at the same time having this element of timelessness to it because prison culture in a pre-modern era is a little fascinating. Like what was it like back then? Uh, and of course before this movie, my only vision of this era in prisons was, uh, inmates breaking rocks, <laughs> like whatever that accomplished. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this added a whole new layer of paint for me, but they're also exploring the, these universal ideas of despair and hope, right? The triumph of will and justice overcoming injustice. The underdog is victorious over the, uh, the corrupt man. And so that's always super satisfying. Re- same reasons why a thousand other movies are, you know, fun to watch Rocky or what have you, uh, sports, all sports movies, basically. <laughs> the other thing is the, the fellowship, right? We get to see these friendships develop and we spend decades with them. We feel like we're in the crew and, and seeing Andy go from outsider to legend is so subtly cathartic. Like that's just a really fun uh, character arc. But there's also mystery. Like there's this element of mystery of did he kill his wife? How did he escape? And so we're constantly seeing these clever twists of brilliance um, between the prison break and even just revealing how we know that he's innocent and how we solve that question. Uh, Because it feels like at a certain point, you're just not going to get that answer. You're just going to have to take his word for it. Uh, And no one wants to do that. That's not very satisfying. And it's understated. This is what you were saying earlier, and this is my word for it. It's very understated. Like, we fill in all the emotions here. It's so well-written and acted that we imagine that what they must be feeling without ever emotionally draining us. It's an effortless drama with a lot of stakes and a lot of payoffs, but it's not overtly tense. And so we get to the end of this, and we feel refreshed. We don't feel like we've been through the ringer, even though we've seen a man, you know, lose 30 years in prison or 19 years in prison. Like in most movies, that's going to take a lot out of you. And that's not going to be something you want to uh, re-explore. But I love that. Now, it, sorry, just real, to add yeah. real quick. Um, do you think that that the fact that it is over a certain like such a long period of time is possibly why, you know, if a movie is over like the span of like, I don't know, a week. Right. You're packing. I mean, just the emotional like weight of 
man, this, this character is going through all of this in a week, like is pretty intense. But if you're like breaking it up over years and then you see this like gigantic evolution of him from, you know, timid, quiet guy to, like you said, legend at the end, maybe it's more of a journey you can go with him on instead of like trying to hold back. I don't know. I think the way that they executed it. Yeah. Because the other way to execute this is it would compound the stress. Um, Mm -hmm. the longer Mm -hmm. you're seeing someone unjustly and they're not dealing with it well and they have no hope. And, uh, there's a lot of yelling. Uh, I, I haven't watched hurricane in a while, but I think the hurricane would probably be an example of that, uh, of watching an unjust man trying his Mm -hmm. best to kind of deal with the, the fallout. There's other movies for sure. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, you just start to feel like this is, this is unbearable. Like this guy does not deserve. Instead, they, they explore the other side of the, the, the coin where you get to see him kind of not quite embrace it, but make the best of it. Right. He's, he's polishing rocks. Um, he's building a chess set, he's building friendships and a library. And so you feel like even though he's, he's trapped in this place, he's building something. And we like to see people, uh, you know, create out of nothing even more so. In, in a sense, it's very godlike. Like it's kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one of the other aspects that I and this goes right back to what you were saying. Like friends reuniting. Like they leave the story unfinished for us to imagine. It leaves us wanting more. So we rewatch it to indulge in Red and Andy's friendship. Like it feels like yeah, I am kind of re reopening my my. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm zooming with my friends right now through the TV. (laughs) Like, yeah, it totally feels like an indulgence. Like, you know how it ends, you know, that he's not innocent after, you know, if you've watched it any in the last five years, uh, but it still feels okay. It's like, man, there's, it's low stress. Friendships are great. The performances are great. And you want to imagine and try to build that imagination of what is it, what happens next? Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's yeah, like how does he do this? How does he, you know, and I think if he would have been bolsterous and like this, you know, kind of loud character, it, it would have been way different. But because Andy is like this so even quiet storm, he's, yeah. he's just quiet storm, man. Like and finding out that the whole damn thing was a plan from the very from the very almost the very first day. It was like, oh, I think he got there in 47 and then in 49 he asked Red for the, for the rock hammer, I believe it was like one of the first things he, he said, he said to him, but it was like two years later or something like that. So from then all on, like at least from that point on, um, maybe even before he just had this plan, you know, but I guess, no, I guess it was when he he would have had to wait until he had the rock hammer, he had the rock hammer from the moment he got that rock hammer on everything was planned. Well, almost everything except for like probably getting thrown in the hole (laughs) for two months. I mean, I can't even imagine that. And then to see it come to fruition in such a badass way where he, he, he wins without even being there when the warden kills himself and when the, um, the, uh, uh what's oh, his the name? Captain. The main, yeah, the captain Hadley, Hadley yeah. um, cries, you know, like getting, getting arrested. Like he wins without even just with his may, mind. Will you, add, will you add this to your outgoing mail? Like, and that's how he wins, you know? And then he goes and he like, you know, sands a boat on the, on the beach and it's just incredible. It's just such a great, great win. And where, you know, 
not all movies like this should end in a win. I don't mm. think that they, you know, I think this is definitely an example of something that, that is a great because it does. And some other movies are not great because they do. Uh, I think you just have to tell your, your right story, whatever that might be. And in this one, you just love every the character so much, especially Andy, because he loves other people. Like everything he does I mean, obviously he's working towards his own goal, but he, in the middle of it, he's like, how can I help these guys? How can I help the, um, I mean, it's not necessarily that he's excited to help all of the the guards, you know, do their taxes, but at the same time, it, like you said, makes him feel alive. Like he's still using his skills. Um, so he's getting something from that, but he's also does feel good about helping. Like that's what actually is his strength inside is the ability to be selfless in the middle of some of this place where everyone is selfish. It's, it's such a great story in that regard. It just makes you like want to be that way yourself. And maybe that's why you want to watch it just to feel good. Even though there's terrible things happen in it, it still is like this whole, like, like, man, life throws some shit at you. How, and how are you going to respond? You yeah. know, kind of thing. Yeah. It's great. It's amazing. It's Stephen King, man. It's always surprising to me that he is such as he's so well known for his horror films and yet his best products are his dramas. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> great point. It's great incredible. Point. Like stand by me, uh, is, was a huge childhood film for me. And, uh, it's Stephen King. Like it's just a drama of with kids and freaking Stephen King, man, green mile. Like, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's incredible. Um, Cool. Yeah. Uh, and you know, to think like I talk to my wife about him all the time and he is like a good shining example of a writer who is rejected so much. I think he said there's a story of like he used to take all of his rejections because back then, you know, there was no Internet. Right. So you get letters and he used to take all his rejections and there was a nail above his doorway where he would go to write and he would put them all up on an, on this nail. And he's at one point there were so many rejections, he couldn't fit it on the nail anymore, but he just kept going, you know, and now he's Stephen King, one of the greatest writers of all time. And, and it's just a a testament to, if you love what you do, then do what you love. And, you know, uh, if you're good enough and you work hard enough and you, you improve, there's nothing that says that you can't, you know, be great. You know, it's just so, it's so awesome. Uh, And he's brilliant. And I'm, um, and this movie is a great example of that. You're right. It's awesome. So freaking good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's all I had. <laughs> okay, you that's got, it. Yeah, sure. you got anything else? <laughs> uh, no, just that I, man, I, I just love this film so much. Um, I could do it again tomorrow. I could do another episode tomorrow. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's it's definitely one of my favorite Tim Robbins performances. And maybe one of my favorite Morgan Freeman performances, just because I feel like he just plays himself in every movie that he's in. He's just like, it's Morgan Freeman. And he's like, not, I don't want to say he's one dimensional because he's freaking incredible, but it's just people write characters for him rather than write a character and fit him to it because he's just Morgan Freeman. (laughs) Um, so but but he is enough of red in in these little moments that I feel like I see a little bit of something extra in this from him um, rather than just delivering lines like the moments he gets angry. You know, there's there's one moment where he's talking to 
to um, Andy sitting at the, the lunch table. I think it might be right after Andy got beat up or something or, or like back from the, from the, the, the hospital or whatever the, mm. The, the whole, yeah, maybe the, no, no. When he, when he got hurt. So when he got beat up, Oh, the, the last sisters, time the sisters guess. got him. Yeah. Yeah. And then he, um, he said something about hope yeah. and he did. And then, uh, more, uh, red was like, you listen here about hope. Like, hope like he was killed. giving Andy. Yeah. Yeah. He was giving Andy what for about hope. That's such an interesting scene to me because that's somebody who's been in the, in jail almost his whole life, you know, 30 something years. And, and so he has an outlook on hope, which is there is none talking to someone who just refuses to give up, give that up. But he is he is adamant that there is none. Um, and his delivery of that is like really, really on point and just incredible Morgan Freeman that you don't get in a lot of other movies that he does. Um, and then, you know, just it's a good time to watch this kind of thing with all the stuff that's going on around the country. Just, you know, we see this kind of stuff in in. Um, uh, you know, you and I, we see this kind of stuff in films. Um, and so many people actually experience this kind of stuff. And so it was just like a, an interesting reminder that even, you know, this story that was, that was filmed and told in 1994 about, uh, prisons in 1949, how much has changed? Right. Really, you know, it's like, you know, if you give someone a badge and a gun or you give someone a uniform, they it doesn't matter if it's with a badge or a gun, extend that you give somebody a uniform, there's they walk taller, they stand prouder, but they might also feel like they have a little bit more edge on somebody else. Who knows? And it, and it, it was a little timely for me to watch it and um, um, a little bit disheartening in a way. But there's hope. There's always so, hope. Yeah, and I I like what you said too about Morgan Freeman because yeah, whenever I think of Shawshank, I don't I recognize that it's Morgan Freeman, but at the same time I'm thinking, that's red. Like his mm-hmm. performance is so true and so uh spot on and everything plays so well that I I really do see red and Andy. <laughs> like it's not yeah, it's not something that I, I feel he's bigger than the role at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas now a lot of his other roles and a lot of people who take on roles, it takes me like ten or fifteen minutes to settle in. Like, oh yeah, that's not Tom Cruise. That's you know Ethan Hunt or whatever. Like it, I have no problem settling right in with red and Andy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's fantastic. So great. Um, what are you gonna recommend this week? Oh, yeah. So uh, I'm going to stay on the Stephen King train and I'm going to recommend The Green Mile. I started uh, watching that last night. <laughs> no, you didn't. Yeah. Really? Was that going to be your, your reco? No, no, not at all. Oh. <laughs> You're like scrambling. To find another yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, that's uh, yeah. It's just a an, another great jail film uh, or story book novel uh, by the same writer, but a completely different story. But there are similar aspects to that story as to this one as well. Nice. Yeah. I originally had the, the, the perfect recommendation and it, I never wrote it down and it, it's fled my mind. So uh, instead of whatever that was going to be, I'm going to recommend Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It's uh, streaming right now on, on, on Hulu and it's absolutely fantastic. It's uh, forbidden love and uh, I've been aching to see like I've, I've been such a big fan of uh, these 
films telling the the LGBTQ uh, stories like Moonlight and uh, Call Me by Your Name, uh, and I just hadn't really found one for women that I really loved yet. And uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire was finally just fit the fit the bill. It leaves you just uh, feeling all kinds of ways. And so check it out. We'll uh, we'll put both of those trailers in the in the show notes and stay tuned for next week uh it's going to be a heavy week next week we're going to tackle the documentary on netflix 13th uh, by ava duvernay so go watch that and tune in we're going to have a lot of heavy discussion that it'll be interesting and hopefully informative and uh, we're going to have a lot of surprises that i think you will appreciate and add to the conversation that's going on in the country right now Uh, Don't forget to subscribe, review us on iTunes, leave us a note if there's something you'd like us to talk about um, or a film or a TV show or whatever um, that you want us to cover or things that you find interesting. Like, hey, y'all never talk about set design. Why don't y'all freaking do that? Um, We can certainly do that. Uh, If you want to comment on this episode, you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash the Shawshank Redemption. And we'll leave you with a quote of the day uh, from Nelson Mandela. I always love the quote you pull, man. So good. So good. For to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. So on point for this film. So on point for life. Like, and what a great man. Uh, a great, great quote from a great man. Just un- unbelievable. You know? 100%. I have yeah. nothing to add. <laughs> There's nothing to add to that. I'm, like, I'm trying to trying to think. I do this um, this meditation uh, every day, and this morning it was uh, interesting. They were it was like talking about finding, searching for happiness, and chasing happiness, and what that feels like. And it always feels like you can't quite catch it. But the moment that you stop thinking about your own and you start thinking about other people's, it just finds you, and it. So it's just like, it's on point for this quote, on point for, you know, I feel like today for this movie, uh, for everything, man, fantastic. I should read that every single morning. I feel like yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to copy and paste it in a, in a little post-it, have it right here. <laughs> Good on my use of it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, thank you guys so much for joining. I had a great time uh, talking about, oh, what do you write? I mean, what's your, what do you put it at? Oh, this is super easy. I mean, I don't know if we can go to 11, but uh, it's it's an easy 10. (laughs) Easy 10. Same here. Okay. Had to do that. Nice. (laughs) Thanks for joining us again. Join us next week. We're going to be doing 13th. Really, really excited about that. So take some time. Watch that. It's on Netflix. It's free. Yeah. Until then, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. 